Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to The State of Us. Beyond mainstream cable news and party lines, with a millennial and a boomer, the state of us pushes past the noise and uncovers all the issues that matter. Here's your host, Justin T. Weller. The Paycheck Protection Program was created by Congress in response to COVID-19. Amid the chaos, though, we may have missed some critical questions about the program. In fact, a recent opinion piece in the Wall Street Journal suggests that with billions of dollars allocated, the PPP, Paycheck Protection Program, could amount to legalized fraud. Billions of dollars, legalized fraud. It sounds pretty serious. Who's to blame and should the government be involved at all? That's what we'll be looking at today. But of course, we can't begin this critical conversation without. True Chat senior historian and an educator of more than 30 years. Here is your friendly redneck liberal. Lance Jackson. Um, you asked a lot of questions. I don't know which one to answer there to start the show, but I think it's again, and we're going to talk about this later. Uh, we brought it up in pre-show discussion, and that is everybody wanted the government to do something, and so the government did something. But is there a problem when you ask a democratic government to act quickly? I just throw that out. So I'll I'll answer all your questions with that question and let's go ahead and get started. So the, this piece is not very long and I would encourage people to take a look at it. Our wonderful producer Bradley has uh, taken the liberty of linking that as always at the website, thestateofus.org. So you can check it out there uh, because one of the things the author does, Lance, of this piece, right, his name's Pete Vegas, and he actually owns a food manufacturing business with more than 200 employees, and he recently was awarded $3.4 million from the Small Business Administration, and that's through the Paycheck Protection Program. He says, from what I've observed, the PPP is completely flawed and will function as a handout to companies that don't need it. Billions spent will never be paid back. As a maker of food products sold in grocery stores, his business is one of those that's considered essential, so to speak. Uh, So he's still working. His people are still working. He's still getting money. But he points out that in the PPP application, there's only one line that pertains to the effects of COVID-19. In signing the application, he agreed to the statement, quote, current economic uncertainty makes this loan request necessary to support the ongoing operations of the applicant, end quote. So his whole point in this, Lance, is he was able to get $3.4 million through the Paycheck Protection Program, which if he uses it, quote unquote, properly, right, if he uses the way the program specifies, could be forgiven, even though, and his point in the article is, he basically doesn't need it, right? Now, his- He doesn't need it now, right? Right. He He said, I don't know what the future brings, so I go ahead and apply for it so that I have it as backup in case I do need it. 
So I couldn't let the money go. How can I look my workers in the eye and they, you know, and I have to lay them off in three weeks or something because the pandemic hits the factory like those factories in South Dakota. And therefore then I would need money. I would have to shut down my factory and then I'd have to pay my employees out of the PPP money. So he did it to protect himself. But his point is well, very well taken, right? That if his factory's not shut down, he's going to get over a million dollars tax-free to do whatever he wants because he's not going to have to use it for the purpose that he took it for, but because he continued to, in air quotes here, pay his employees for a 60-day period, which is what the PPP says, he gets to keep the money and doesn't have to pay it back, right? It'd be like if I was going to loan Lance, right, a hundred bucks because Lance said, you know, I don't know, I I need something and I need a hundred dollars. I need a new weed eater. I need a new weed eater. So I need I need you to lend me hundred bucks. I give Lance the hundred dollars and say, you know what, you don't have to worry about paying me back. And then Lance figures out I don't need a new weed eater. So now I'm just going to keep that money and I don't have to pay it back. And the reason that I originally said I needed it really doesn't apply. So now Lance is just scot-free, gets that $100. The problem with- right, I made 100 bucks. Right. Yeah. And, and maybe that doesn't sound all that bad, or maybe it does, but here's, here's where the problem deepens, is there's a limited amount of money, right? And I think it's safe to say, uh, maybe it's not, and this is something that we're going to talk about, uh, I know, at, at, at some point, you know, what, what was the government thinking here? Um, and of course, that's just- Unfortunately, it's speculation because we don't know for sure, but it seems like from what a lot of them said, right, the goal of this was to make sure that businesses could keep people on payroll that they would otherwise have to let go or stop paying because of the crisis. You think of the hair salons, you think of the restaurants, you think of places like that that were shut down by many governors due to the pandemic. That's where... I think most of us, when we were listening to this discussion in Congress, where we were thinking that money would go to help those people. And I know that on different shows that I watched and different articles that I read, that there were um, small medical offices who weren't part of the pandemic, like chiropractors or um, ophthalmologists or whatever, you know, small businesses who weren't considered essential. So since, uh, and they had to let people go or they stayed open and nobody ventured out in New York city or Boston or new Orleans where, you know, some of the hot spots were nobody was venturing out into public for those services. So they had to lay people off because they didn't have their normal clientele coming through the doors. That's where I think most of us assumed, again, I don't like that word for what it really does, but that's where we thought the money was going to go. And instead, and, and maybe some of it, and maybe most of it even went there, but we're starting to hear now of different places that it went to, some in large amounts that don't have that situation. 
Right. Well, and, and he even says in the article, again, this is Pete Vegas, who authored the piece we're referencing. He says, I assume the loan was intended to help companies that are currently shut down or severely suffering remain in business and keep their employees on payroll. But the program doesn't differentiate between companies that are completely shut down and those operating at 50% or 100% capacity. And I'll be real honest with people, Lance, right? Um, we've applied for this program. Um, I, I, I work on a couple different businesses and, and, and we've tried to make use of it. Now, our experience has been we haven't gotten a dime yet, right? Even if, even if approved, we haven't actually gotten any money yet. Um, it's good to know that some people have, but that's the interesting thing about the application is nowhere does it ask you about how you've been impacted. It just asks, you know, it just asks that kind of vague statement about the economic climate you know, makes this loan necessary. And so it's very open to how do you interpret that? Like this gentleman did, right? Who owns this company and got $3.4 million. The problem in all of that is then the companies that are hit the hardest either don't ever get access to the funds or don't get as much of funds because there are less funds to go around going to companies that might need them, but don't necessarily need them immediately. Right. We were reading, we were reading another article getting ready for the show where there's a, a a man who is operating his family's furniture store in Minnesota, and it's been there for a hundred years. And obviously, people are not out buying furniture right now. I mean, in most places, that's not you're not getting enough foot traffic in and earning any money. And he applied and didn't get it or hasn't gotten it yet. Now, at the time that we're discussing all of this in real time, there's more money being allocated by Congress. But as far as I understand, the rules haven't changed. So even if new money becomes available because the original $350 billion has all been allocated, even if new money comes available for businesses who didn't get it the first time around, the application process hasn't changed, correct? So we're still dealing under the same set of circumstances, the same set of rules that were rolled out the first time. So the possibility of of fraud or of companies taking advantage of it legally. You know, I don't like to use fraud because they're not doing anything illegal. They fill out the application and if they fill it out correctly and they're not lying and it's not fraud and they get the money, but they might be getting it ahead of people who need it worse, but that wasn't anywhere on the form. So I think that's where, and that's the interesting title, right? Legalized fraud is almost kind of an oxymoron because fraud means wrongful or criminal deception intended to result in financial or personal gain. And I think the author's point, Lance, in this right, is that under most circumstances generally, this would be a type of, if companies are applying for this and they don't need it, it would be a type of fraud because the loan is clearly intended for people who need it. At the same time, the way that it's set up allows companies that don't necessarily need the money right now to still go ahead and get it, which is where we get into this very strange situation. So I guess the question, right, the the final um, question to look at is because we've got a lot to come up. Like we have to talk some about um, the ethics of right and wrong, right? Just because just because it's legal doesn't make it right type of thing. Um, doesn't make it wrong either. Should and who should get the blame? Is the government to blame? Should they get the blame? 
Um, but the last thing that we want to end this bit on, Lance, is is the Paycheck Protection Program a form of legalized fraud? I mean, I guess it is legalized fraud, but I have a hard time with that because what people are doing was is legal. So therefore, um, it's hard for it to be fraud in the in the you know definition of fraud. And so, and the government set it up this way. I think the bigger question is, should there have been some safeguards put in? Should there have been another line on the application to say you've already laid off your workers or you're in the process of laying off workers? Or, I mean, there's all kinds of arguments there. So I, I guess I will say, it's always hard for me, right, to, to say, I'll say, no, it's not really legalized fraud, even though I understand the argument. Yeah. And I'm I'm at the same place you are, I think. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about next. Whether it's right or wrong for businesses to do that is a different question of whether or not it's legal, right? And and it is legal. I mean, the way the program's set up, and I think the gentleman even points this out, it is essentially legal. Doesn't necessarily make it right, and that's what we're looking up at coming up. But the reason that you all care about this, hopefully it's apparent, you've got thousands tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of small businesses across the country and mid-sized businesses and even large-sized businesses that are struggling as a result of this. The allocation of money is all the more important. There are businesses that have gone under simply because they didn't get the money in time, even though they were approved. It's a serious problem and it's one that deserves serious answers. We're going to look at right and wrong coming up. Keep it here on The State of Us and we'll be right back. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. We are the state of us. Here's your host, Justin T. Weller. The Paycheck Protection Program, with billions of dollars allocated to this initiative, there's a lot of unanswered questions about it, a lot of trouble with it as well. As a business owner who has taken the opportunity to apply for this program, um, I know firsthand that while the application process really is not all that complicated, what comes after that uh, is perhaps the most frustrating part, which is you don't know when or if you'll get approved. Once you're approved, you don't know if or when you'll get your money. Uh, technically, you should get your money, but there's lots of businesses. I know several of them that were approved weeks ago that still haven't gotten anything. Um, we applied also, Lance, for the um, EIDL, which is basically you know like a $10,000 grant that you can get. Um, and when you fill out that application, you're told that you'll hear something within a week. It's now been almost a month and haven't heard anything. 
nothing. So it's very frustrating to people. And Lance and I talked some in the first segment about one of those frustrations is who's getting this money? And should they really, are some of the people getting money? Are they really the ones the program was intended for? I think the answer to that, right, is no, it doesn't really seem like there's some of these people out there who are definitely getting money who it seems like the program was not intended. Right. But there may be people who needed it, who are getting it. So, I mean, it may may be working, you know, again, air quotes, it may be working in that there may be companies that have been saved because they got the money in time. They applied and they got the money in time. You know, we're only talking about a couple of them that have gotten it who maybe didn't need it, but there may be, we don't know, hundreds, tens of thousands, thousands, tens of thousands who got it, who needed it, who are staying open. So the question comes back to, and this is kind of where we ended the last segment, just because it's legal doesn't necessarily make it right. So we're in this situation, Lance, and you're a business that doesn't necessarily need the money, right? You're essential, you're still operating, or maybe you've got the cash reserves, right? Any number of scenarios, you don't you don't have to lay people off. Whether or not you get the money, you don't have to lay people off. Now, you may still make that choice, but you don't have to. You've got the money, the revenue's fine, you can keep your people on, but you're eligible for it, technically, right? You're technically eligible for it. So what do you do, Lance? I mean, what do you do in this situation? Is it is it right for a business who doesn't, quote unquote, need it to go ahead and get it? Well, it's we, you know, we had this class in college and I did it as often as I could when I was an educator myself. And that is, you try to talk about the difference between law and then the ethics or the morality of something. And so it's, it's an individual decision. I mean, let's face it, there isn't anything legally that you, is going to get you in trouble with this, but what's your own personal stance? You know, are you going to spend it so it's okay to take it? Or you know you don't need it. Like I, if I remember correctly, <clears throat> and we read three or four different articles, but if I remember correctly, this gentleman who wrote, this owner who wrote this piece said he's going to return his if he doesn't use it. If I remember correctly, he said his, his ethics and morals are, okay, I have it in case I need it, but if I don't use it, I'm going to return it. Now, it's easy for those skeptics out there. Yes, it's easy for him to say that in an article in, you know, at the end of April. And will he really do it come, you know, July or August, September? You know, will he actually, when his company's made it and we're on the other side of this, whenever that might be six months from now, will he return this money? You know, I, I think if you, I understand why you would take it in case you needed it. I guess I would, you know, like what he said. And if he follows through on it, I'm okay with that. Um, Because he's right in that he's not sure that he might not need it in the next 60 days. So he's protecting his workers. But if you out and out have insurance or have some policy or have money to do this, you're going against the spirit of why it was created. The spirit why it was created was to help those people who have spent their lives, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's it was, in, it was created in the spirit to help those people who have spent their life savings creating a business, who struggle to make it at the end of every month to keep the business open. And if those people don't get it, 
to me, that seems like as a business person, that's ethically and morally wrong. Because you you know why it was created and you're keeping someone who's working just as hard as you are from getting it, who needs it when you don't. It's not illegal, but I think it's ethically and morally wrong when you think about it in that aspect. So I'm definitely sympathetic, Lance, to that approach. I also think it would be hard if you were in the position as the business owner who wrote the uh, piece in the journal because... I understand the reasoning, right? You don't want to have to let people go. And you also, I mean, you want your business to stay afloat. So you're eligible for this and you can get it kind of as a what if. And then it's rationalized some, right? By, well, I'll return the money if I don't need it. But like what you brought up is, but taking that money also means that somebody else won't get the money. You know, and that could be the difference for them between the make or break. The problem is that's that's a lot of hypothetical. So I can understand why he went the route of it's a big hypothetical whether or not if I take it, somebody else isn't going to get it and that's going to cause them to go under. So I'm going to take it because it's not hypothetical that if I need it, I will use it, you know. Uh, but again, then, you're, you know, it's a, it's a definitely it's a conundrum. Um, I think I'm where you're at, Lance, of I don't think I would – especially because of what the program's intended for. I don't think I would take the money just for the sake of taking the money. I would have to feel like, and I mean, that's being honest with our listeners. That's why we applied for it. Um, you know, we have, we have clients, for example, that are in the healthcare field who are stopping non-essential payments. Um, and, and even though TrueChat is a media entity, right? So we, we're still classified as one of those essential businesses some of the people that are our clients are not able to continue to pay us right now, right? So even though we can operate, some people can't justify paying for these services at the moment. So it's definitely not a fun position to be in. At the same time, this is, I think, where it goes back to our our question that we want to ask, which is who gets the blame? But before we do that, we're going to have an opportunity to hear from um, the the master of ethics, right? Our producer Bradley, we haven't gotten to hear from him in a while, Lance. We get, we get, he gets his thank you and everything, right? But we haven't, uh, we haven't heard from him. So we'll see how the spontaneity goes. So, what do you think, Bradley? Is it, is it right for businesses who don't, air quotes here, need the money to take the money? If it were my business and I wasn't forced to uh, lay off employees, then I personally wouldn't take the loan. Why? Because you'd see it as wrong. Well, don't put words in his mouth. Well, I'm asking. Ask, ask why and let him tell you why. <laughs> don't give him an answer. I wouldn't take the money because I wouldn't want to take it away from somebody who could use it better than I could. So then how do you feel about other bit? Because let's extend that scenario, right? You own a business. You're not going to take it because you don't, you don't need it. Now let's say you do need it, okay? You're going to have to fire people. If, if you don't take it or you're going to have to shut down and you know that other businesses who don't need it are taking it, what do you think about that? Is it okay that they're doing that? He's thinking about this one, folks, just so you know. He's making the thinking face. You can't see it, but that, that one's a... Because that tests your, your idea of capitalism, right? It's easy to talk about in theory, but then if you're the one on the chopping block because somebody else has taken the money that you need... Now, now it doesn't sound so good anymore in theory. As he's thinking, that's an interesting definition, Justin, of capitalism. 
Should I or should I not take government money to stay open? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not sure that fits my definition of capitalism. Well, it doesn't fit mine either. It, it, it fits America's definition right. of capitalism. <laughs> Nobody will say it. You know, most capitalists will not say it. Right. But if my business will further succeed by getting money from the government, then I will take it. And that's capitalism at its finest. Um, I'm not sure that's the definition of capitalism, though, when you're asking Bradley for his opinion there. Oh, no. I'm not sure I would frame it in the in the realm of capitalism. Well, I, we're using the American definition today, right? That's the... Uh the we we our idea of capitalism is not necessarily the purest form but go ahead bradley sorry i can't really fault corporations who take money that they qualify for so i think that the real question is why do these corporations who do not need the money qualify for it in the first place oh good question sounds like something i said and it's a perfect setup it's almost like it's almost like our producer knew what the outline was and that the next segment of the show was going to be us talking about who's to blame for this and should the government be the one responsible for fixing it uh, those are some of the questions we're going to look at i think we've talked a lot about the dilemma that businesses are in no matter what side of it you're on whether you've applied and gotten the money and you needed it whether you didn't need it um, kind of all the different angles. And, and that is one of those unfortunate things is you have to choose between fast or right a lot of times. And that's one of those things that we're going to talk about coming up. Should we have to choose between fast or right? Who's to blame? Those questions still remain. Keep it here on The State of Us. And we'll be right back. We are The State of Us. Here's your host, Justin T. Weller. The government moved quickly to dispense trillions of dollars, or rather allocate trillions of dollars, in stimulus money. The big problem is, though, allocating is only as good as the distribution of said funds, and that's some of what we've been talking about today. The Paycheck Protection Program, which is one of the signature components of the stimulus legislation, the CARES Act, as it is known, uh, All of this comes down to this question of, we've talked about the business side, we've talked about who it's for, we've talked about how businesses that maybe don't need it can legally get a hold of it anyway, Um, and the conundrum of whether or not that's right or wrong. But this comes down to, it certainly seems like there are some issues with the program, whether that's dispensing the money fast enough, or as we've been talking about, who qualifies for the money in the first place? And our producer so aptly pointed out at the end of the last segment um, that I forget exactly how he worded it, but essentially that we have to think about it's not necessarily the business's fault if they're taking advantage of it the way it was written. Now, that's a discussion in and of itself. But the the reality is the question remains, Lance, um, who who should get the blame for this? Um, is it really Congress's fault or do we have to choose between right and fast? And I'll tell you, Lance, my answer is pretty quick on this. I'm not giving them a pass on this one. Um, having been in business and owned my own business, I know that most of our clients expect both. They expect it right and they expect it fast and they pay good money for that. And I think our, our government, I mean, I know our government is perhaps the largest financial entity on planet earth. So I don't think I don't think it should be unreasonable for us to ask for something to be right and to be fast. And it hasn't, and frankly, it hasn't been either of those. It hasn't been fast and it hasn't been right. Now, maybe it's been fast relative to their slowness in the past, 
but I'm not willing to give them a pass on that because these are the times where it's the most critical that they not behave like usual. So maybe they're moving fast relative to how they've moved before, but I, I've always thought that's too slow and they haven't gotten it right. So they're moving fast and haven't gotten it right. And really they're not moving fast because there's still millions of people who have no word on if or when they will be getting any money. So I'll let you say your bit now, but I just figured I'd, I'd front load mine and let you tell me why I'm wrong, but also tell other people what you think. We live in this representative democracy and we have political parties and we have special interest group. And so everything that we try to do is slow. But in the past, it's been good because it's a little bit slower because we're not reactionary. And when you're reactionary, you make mistakes. And that's just a, that's just a fact of government. It's a fact of life. I think we have a little bit of a misnomer. Our system of government does not allow for itself to act quickly. If you want that system of government, then have a dictatorship. So <clears throat> when you get into it at that point and you can have it both get it right and get it fast. I'm not sure that works when you're talking about our system of government, especially at the federal level. Now, when you get into who should be blamed, okay, I'm, you, you know, Congress, the president, and the American people are all to blame for this because Congress didn't get it right. The president signed it into law and wanted it done, and his advisors and himself we're in on the discussions and the American public is to blame because we were asking for it. We wanted something done now. We wanted, we wanted it done. I'm not saying we were wrong, but we were putting pressure on our government to respond quickly. And when our government, when anybody responds quickly, including our government, especially our government, it opens it up for loopholes or mistakes to be made because the proper discussions were not had. But I think here you have to judge it on intent. And I think the intent was to do it, was hopefully was to do it correctly. I don't think any of this was done with the intent of people being able to take advantage of it. I think the intent was to get it out quickly, to recognize the need of small businesses to recognize the need of small business owners and their employees to stay employed in a crisis so that they could fight for themselves and their families and their business to all stay alive through this. So it's hard when I say who's to blame, that's why I include everybody, but I don't think anybody was doing it maliciously. I get why it had some mistakes in it and I'm willing to live with it because of the situation under which everybody was working. So, so you said it was quick. My answer wasn't, but, but I had, but I am, you know, I, I really did have a lot that I wanted to say there because I think it all falls into place. And that's why I disagree with you. Not that I think you're wrong, but I just disagree with you because I, and I, and I wanted to make sure everybody understands. I think we, the people are part have to wear part of the blame. To ever say that it's it's not the people's fault, right? I think fools us into believing that we have less power than we do. Because at the end of the day, right, um, I actually really liked Lance. I don't know if you've seen it yet, but Governor DeWine of Ohio put out this thing the other day where he was, he was uh, being critical of some lawmakers in Ohio who were... Um, you know, pointing the finger 
at other people other than him, people in his administration and saying, well, it's their fault the economy is still closed. And he basically just put out this post and said, folks, the buck stops here. So you need to quit going after other people. I'm the one making these calls. And if you got a problem, you bring it to me, not you don't go after my people, you know? And it's not very often we see our lawmakers do that, but it just made me think about when you were saying that. I think we forget that we're the American people and the buck's supposed to stop with us. Well, we voted for these people or didn't vote, which in our vote, because we didn't vote, allowed these people to get into office. So understand whether you voted for them or not, or you even bothered to vote, you have to deal with the outcome of that. Maybe this is one of those age situations we get in, into here where our perspectives are different. You've grown up and kind of, right, accepted throughout your life. You're used to the government behaving this way. Um, they they are not very fast moving. Um, they When they do stuff, especially if it's reactionary, they often don't get it right or they don't even do it very well. You know, maybe they have the right intent, but they don't execute uh, very seamlessly. And, and maybe that's a, I haven't lived as long under those circumstances. So I'm more willing to say we shouldn't accept that just because that's the way it's always been. Maybe that's just who I am generally, because I've said that I feel like about a lot of things. Youth is always in a hurry. That doesn't mean, that doesn't mean it works the way youth wants it to. No, but it also, I also don't think it means that we should give up on demanding more of our government doing a better job. I, I've felt like for a long time, and especially with recent experience, and granted the experience is limited, but in having my own run for office and seeing some of the people that we, the American people, choose to put into office, I know we're not putting our best people there. We're just not. And, and if you're fooling yourself into thinking that we have our best and smartest in elected office, it's just not true. There are some there, I think, who are, but I think there's more of them that are definitely not. They are not the smartest. They're not the brightest. They're not the best leaders. They're not, they're not really the best at anything other than politicking, you know, or, or selling out. We have to demand more of our government and it's, and it's our responsibility, but I don't think we should settle for what we have that, well, we have to choose between fast or right, because I understand, and I am, I, I agree with you to an extent of, I've had times where clients have pushed us, right, to move fast, and then we don't do things as well as we'd like to do them, because we had to move quickly. Um, at the same time, I think that there's, there's something better than what we have, and it's not, I don't think, a. uh, shot in the dark or too hopeful to say with things like this, with the biggest employer, you know, in the country, that they ought to be able to better rally their resources in a time like this to figure things out. And, and they're not, you know, or they're not doing it as well as I would like to see them do it. Most Americans do not vote. They take what is given them. And we have talked to them repeatedly on this show that people need to get out and vote. The problem becomes, as we've seen voter turnout in some places increase, we don't have the infrastructure in place to deal with the fact that if more people want to vote, that we can actually count everybody's vote. So that's what disturbs me. And I think we need to take a look at different ways that we can vote. I know everybody's worried then about go back here and tie this all together in, the, in teacher mode in the fraud that might take place, but we need to make it a way where more people can vote in our system. But we, the first part we have to do is get more people interested 
in understanding that they do have the power and that their vote does matter. Because most of those people who are our federal government and even our local government were not voted on by the majority of the people. The majority of the town, the state, the district, the nation did not participate in the process of electing all of our government officials. That's just a fact. And we might get a different government if more people voted. But the fact is, most people don't vote in these elections. And it's it's not just about how many of us vote. That certainly comes into play. But it's also about how we vote. And I think too often we have relegated ourselves to this idea that we'll just vote for the people that we think are looking out for us without really figuring out but see, I if disagree. they're looking out I disagree for us. And that's, in the election that you just ran in, how many possible votes were there? If everybody who was registered voted, approximately how many votes were there possible? Right. There were 7,000 approximately possible. Right. Approximately 7,000. And the final vote count was about 2,500. Yeah. So one third of the people who are eligible to vote voted. Well, and you know, I agree. So Voter so, turnout is so important. So therefore, it doesn't matter if you and I take it seriously and pick the right person to lead us when if there had been a third candidate out there and that person had gotten half of the people who didn't bother to vote to cast a ballot for them, they would have won the election. That, that's the problem is that it's not that we're not voting for the right people. That most The problem is, is that most of us, in my opinion, I disagree with you, it's not that we're not picking the right people, it's that most people don't go vote. Well, just to be clear about what I, what my point was, it wasn't that voter turnout's not important because I believe it is. And and that was a big part of what we tried to do. And we got a few more people to vote, but we didn't get enough more people to vote. Voter turnout's a huge component and it's an important one. But I think equally, if not more important, is being discerning voters, whether it's 10 people, 1,000 people, 10,000 people, a million people that are voting, whatever it is, the people voting need to do more than just say, well, I think this party looks out for my interest. They have to take an active process in knowing whether or not those individuals or those parties are looking out for their interest. I guess my point was it's a combination of those two things. It can't, if it's just either or, if we just have 100 stupid people go vote, you know, that, I don't know if that's really what we're after. At the same time, if only 10 people go vote, you know, and none of them know, that's no good either. So I think it's important that both everybody have the opportunity to vote, but that the people going to vote, and I'm not saying this is, should be a law, I'm just saying it should be something that you as a voter care about, knowing for sure how you feel about who you're voting for, instead of just voting to vote, because I'm not sure that that's super productive either. That said, we kind of diverged there at the end, but I think it all ties back to that. Uh, what do you expect from your government? How involved do you want them to be? Um, and, and is it in times like this, does it make you think about how happy are you with your leadership? We want to know your thoughts though, thestateofus.org. And this conversation, Lance, is all part of us pursuing that common goal, right? Exactly. And our mission here at True Chat is to educate people by providing honest, open, and respectful conversations. And in an effort to expand that mission, it is important, Lance, right, that we invite others to join the conversation. If we've got longtime listeners out there, they know the deal. But 
they need to bring other people in. And this is a podcast and syndicated radio program. So there's a lot of different ways to listen. But if people want to invite others to listen to the podcast, what are some of the ways they could do that? Well, most definitely that's the most important thing to do. And then they can go to Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcast, or anywhere else fine podcasts are found. For the state of us on True Chat in Urbana, Ohio, I'm Justin T. Weller. And I'm Lance Jackson. Special thanks to our producer, Bradley Butch. And as always, thank you all for taking the time to tune in. We'll see you next time. Be the change. Be sure to check out our website, thestateofus.org, for books, articles, and all the ways to tune in. Thestateofus.org.